This is the Real Wealth Podcast, where we explore all things wealth related. Join us on this wealth journey. Let's get into it. Today's podcast, I'm coming at you to talk about cash. Cash is trash. Cash is a liability. That is the rhetoric of a lot of the big financial gurus out there just now. Guys like Grant Cardone, Robert Kiyosaki, they're all saying, first piece of advice, don't keep money in the bank. So it's important to understand why they're saying that. Understand some of the risks in cash. And then as ever, we'll take a balanced view of what the reality is of whether you should be holding cash in the bank, whether you should be investing it and what you should be looking at. So, you know, I think the the first thing that, that really we have to go back to before we get into cash is to talk a bit about the history of cash and understand why people are saying that cash is such a, a risky asset, certainly over the last 50 years and why that is. Um, if you have got yourself to a point where you've managed to master the first of the four season wealth that we talk about, so you've managed to master the first one, which is control. So you've learned how to control and manage your finances to a point where you pay yourself first. You put a portion of your income every month into savings and you've started to grow that income uh, month on month. Then you're starting to create some cash in the bank and you want to know, okay, what's the next step? Do I, you know, do I leave it in the bank? Do I put it in an ISA? You know, do I start to invest it? What type of assets should I invest it in? You know, we're, we're in a cost of living crisis just now. Should I be investing my money or should I be keeping a hold of it in terms of liquidity? So let's discuss some of those points and let's start from a view of what is the history of cash, right? So if we go back to ancient civilizations, goods and services were traded and bartered between people. So someone would make something and try and trade it for something else that they needed. Now, those types of transactions were intrinsically difficult because effectively you've got um, things that are not of equal worth. And when you've got things of, of non-equal worth, it becomes difficult to trade and barter. And there's just a lot of friction in the transaction. So even in ancient civilizations, they came up with a way to, to transact using high value, small durable items like gold or silver coins or beads, things that were easily transactable in exchange for, for other goods and services. So that was really the birth of a monetary system. If you fast forward to 1660, China was the first country to release paper money. And that spread throughout the world very quickly because it was an easy way to transact and an efficient way to create currency. It wasn't until the 19th century was the birth of the gold standard. And now that's where effectively for every dollar that the US printed, there was an equivalent amount of gold held in a safe on reserve which ultimately meant currency was backed by an asset. There was something tangible behind that currency that gave it inherent value. The big change in the last 50 years, in the 1970s, Richard Nixon made the decision to take the dollar off the gold standard. And when he did that, that spread throughout the world. And the gold standard effectively died at that point. And what happened was we started to print money as effectively debt as effectively a view of the strength of the government that issued that currency. So it was no longer backed by an asset. It's just paper printed by a government that is backed on the strength of that government and the confidence of that government. And there's no greater example of that recently than, than the Liz Trust situation. So Liz Trust had one of the shortest tenures ever in political history as Prime Minister because she came in and made certain economic policy announcements that were expected to kickstart the economy and done exactly the opposite. 
she announced something in the region of forty-five billion pounds worth of of tax savings that were unfunded. She wasn't taking it from somewhere else. She was just creating this forty-five million of tax reductions with no way of of showing how it was coming back. Ultimately, she was going to increase the government deficit. The government's currently in three trillion pounds worth of debt. So to come up with an economic policy that's likely to increase that. There was instant global loss of confidence in the UK government. And as a result of that, the pound went down to the lowest value it had been historically. So you can see the the result and impact of the the strength and confidence in the government. And eventually she had to resign um, and, and they had to unwind those political policies. And through that period, the Bank of England had to step in and buy something in the region of 65 billion worth of government guilds just to keep us on on a, a plain sailing and just, just to try and recreate some confidence in the UK government. So that was a fucking disaster, but it was a good example of how a currency is so heavily tied to the confidence of, of that government. So, you know, if, if we look at that, uh, in in terms of government debt at three trillion pounds, and and the fact that we we take as a, a government in the UK around about one point two trillion of of taxes every year, about ten percent of that goes to service the debt to service the interest on all of that debt that we've created. So you know we're talking about our currency as a, as a measure of our government, and our government is currently insolvent. If it was a business, it would be trading insolvently, and it would be shut down, and most likely the directors would go to jail. So just to understand where our government sits in terms of, of of confidence, in terms of the legitimacy of of the government. So so that's I, th- I think one of the first concerns about cash. And you might say, well, you know, do I care too much if the pound goes down against the dollar? Because ultimately, you know, I'm I'm earning pounds. I'm spending pounds why do i care well the reality is we as 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 a, a country import a lot of goods and services most of our utilities are provided by they're coming from russia azerbaijan you're coming from oil rich countries you know we're importing all of that so if our currency goes down it costs us more the value of your pound depreciates and depletes by the factor that um that you're having to buy in all these goods and services all of our fruit and veg coming from europe all those things affect the cost of living and that's where we're getting to with inflation right now. So it's, it's to understand that the confidence of the government relates to the currency, which also then relates to what things cost you day in, day out. And I think that's the first most important point about cash is, is inflation. And, and most people don't understand this fundamental principle. If you have cash in the bank that is earning less than the rate of inflation, then your cash is losing value year on year. You are losing. You're a net loser. And that's where guys like Grant Cardone, guys like Robert Kiyosaki are saying, cash is trash. If you've got cash in the bank, you're a loser. And the reality is for most people that's true. Because even if you're getting 4% just now on your money, then you're still losing because inflation is 10%. And 10% officially... When, when you know the fact is that the government only really sample a select amount of goods and services when they come up with that ten percent. The reality is probably much higher, probably more like fifteen percent. So if you're not if you're not earning fifteen percent year on year in your cash, then then the reality is you're losing. Uh, and and not only are you losing, you probably unless you're investing through an ISA or whatever, you may even be paying tax on that. 
So you're paying tax on something where fundamentally you've lost. So if you're not gaining more interest than you're losing in inflation, you're losing. And that that's the fundamental, most important thing to understand about uh, about cash and keeping cash in the bank. So if we talk about um, ISAs, you know, a, a lot of people see that as a safe place to put your money. You're, you're, you're protected from tax. You know, there's a certain amount you can put in every year that, that is exempt from tax, but you're still getting relatively low interest rates, even though though ISAs are maybe more competitive than, than other interest yielding products from the bank it's still going to be significantly less than inflation just now. So, you know, you have to accept that if you're investing your cash in ISA just now, then you're going to be losing because the, the buying power of that money is depleting at a faster rate than your earning income. So so be aware that ISAs maybe aren't as, as efficient and, and tax effective as, as you might think that they are. So that's the first thing, inflation. The other thing to understand about cash is, uh, how safe it is. You know, everybody thinks cash in the bank is the safest way you can put your money. Um, and, and the reality is it's just not. It's just not. You get a relatively low interest rate. And with the fractional banking reserve, that uh, the, the fractional reserve banking system ultimately means that the bank only have to hold 10% of your cash in the bank at any one time. And the rest of it they invest. They, get, they give out in loans. And, and they don't always make good decisions about those loans. If you go back to 2008 and the subprime debt uh, crash, you know, they, they were lending out these this money, your money, your deposit money, to, to people who couldn't afford mortgages. They, they weren't doing the proper financial checks. They weren't uh, effectively investing that cash. And that le- led to a lot of banks going down. Um, just be aware that, that that's, that's the model that the banks have. They take your money, they invest it, and if Everybody wants their money back in a short period of time. They don't have those funds because the fractional reserve banking only requires them to keep about 10% of those funds at any one time. So the banks aren't as safe as, as you think they are. And not only that, if a bank goes down um, through the financial uh, services commission scheme, uh, sorry, compensation scheme, you're only protected up to £85,000 per person, per institution. So if you've got more than eighty five grand in one bank and that bank goes down, there's a pretty good chance that you're going to lose anything over that eighty five k that's insured. So it's it's not as safe as, as you think it is, especially given the fact that in the last month, there's three banks that have become insolvent. So we've got Silicon Valley Bank in the US, We've got uh, New York Signature Bank and, and now we've got Credit Suisse. Uh, and those banks all of a sudden had a run on them and they didn't have the funds to pay it back. And now the US government, uh, certainly in, in the case of uh, Silicon Valley Bank, New York Signature Bank, has had to step in and, and create a, a, a rescue plan. Now, the difference in this rescue plan to, to what happened in 2008 is they say they're not using taxpayers' money to bail out the banks. What they're doing is the Central Reserve are giving them very, very cheap loans to insure all of the deposits. I think in the US, you've got $250,000 protected, insured. They said they'll insure everything above that and they'll give the banks loans to insure that they can pay their depositors. <clears throat> and those will be very low, low interest uh, with the expectation that the bank will be able to pay it back in the long term. And if they don't, the losses from that will be funded by a, a an additional fee to to all of the banking institutions and and recovered that way rather than through through taxes. So so they're trying to tackle some of those those issues of two thousand eight. But the reality remains that if the government doesn't step in when a bank goes down, 
um, you're only protected up to that insured level. So, so that doesn't create this this safe, wonderful way, especially when we're in an economic environment where banks are already starting to go down. So just understand that, that there's a risk, especially if you've got quite a lot of money in the bank at the moment. Um, there's a there's a story actually from my, my corporate days that go back to 2008. So, so when I, I worked for an oil and gas company, we were in Russia and we, we started a, a new venture uh, in the north of Russia in Arkhangelsk. So I spent a year in Arkhangelsk and probably one of the most hostile environments in the world. You know, in, in the winter, it goes down to minus 45 degrees. In the summer, it's plus 30 degrees centigrade. So huge temperature swings during the winter. There's no light whatsoever. It's 24 hours of darkness. And the opposite in the summer, it doesn't get dark. It's, it's the most surreal place in the world but we set up a business here we we established a new uh pipe coating facility um we had our first year uh operating there uh, back in 2007 and we had a great year great financial year we we made around two million uh dollars of profit and the way that 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 we had set up our business to secure the safety of the cash that we'd made, we wouldn't leave it in Russia. We moved everything through Cyprus. Our companies were set up in Cyprus. And at the time, that was the strategy that people used when they were investing in Russia. They, they, they'd hold their money in Cyprus. Uh, it was tax efficient. And, you know, you, you knew that the... the that it was more safe because the money was in Europe as opposed to, to being in Russia. And what happened in 2008, the Bank of Cyprus, where we were holding $2 million, went down. Uh, and, and the European um, Banking Commission came in and, and basically came up with a rescue plan. But they didn't like the fact that the Bank of Cyprus was holding all this Russian money. And they said, what you're going to do is you're going to convert 50% of the uninsured cash that you've got, i.e. the amount over and above this this safe, secured uh, value per, per, per investor, per institution, uh, you're going to convert 50% of those funds over and above that to shares in the Bank of Cyprus. Uh, that means that our $2 million that we had in the account, minus maybe 100 grand that was insured, halved in value overnight. We lost around about eight or nine hundred thousand pounds, and that was instantly converted into shares in the Bank of Cyprus. Uh, you know, so just understand that there's it's not always these situations where these bailouts, you know, make sure everybody gets their money back. And you know, that was a huge, huge financial hit for our company at the time. Um, and you know, the Bank of Cyprus went from bad to worse, so those shares were effectively worth worthless. Um, it can happen, it does happen, and, and banks are not always the safest place to leave your money. So just, just be inherently aware of that. I'm not trying to scare or doom monger anyone. The banks, the banking system has been a fantastic invention in, in making, making transactions smoother, offering debt to the masses, creation of mortgages and people being able to buy their own proper properties. There's a lot of benefits to the banks, but you know I think it's really important that people don't think that the bank is just this wonderful, safe place to leave your money where you get almost no interest, almost no return. You're losing on it every year. Uh, and ultimately, if you don't take your cash and invest it elsewhere, it's very difficult to build your wealth column. You know, no one ever gets rich by leaving money in the bank. So, and I think that's the message that a lot of these financial gurus are trying to get across. You need to understand that. It's all about ultimately risk and reward. You know, and and I think the main message that I would say is that there is an imbalance of risk and reward with the banks. 
it, what is the risk of you having 200 grand in, in the bank and that bank going under tomorrow? Well, the risk is higher than it has been in a long time. It, it's higher than it's been since 2008. That doesn't mean it's going to happen. All it means is there's a higher risk. And is the return better because of that? No. The return's better because interest rates have went up slightly to to try and impact some of the, the serious inflation that we've seen over the last little while. But nothing more than that. There's no risk element to your investment there. You're not getting more out of the banks because fundamentally they're less safe at the moment given three banks have went down in the last few months and we are heading for economic recession probably over a longer period of time. So um, understand that the risk and return balance is out of whack with the banks at the moment. And, and that's why a lot of people are saying it's time to look at other investments and not keep your money in the bank. And as ever, we have to give a balanced approach. This is never financial advice, but I do like to try and open people's eyes to the reality of what's going on. Um, there is always a level of cash you should keep in the bank, right? Liquidity is a very important thing. You know, if you lose your job tomorrow or your, your business starts to struggle or you get a lot of unforeseen expenses coming in like boilers breaking or, you know, your, your roof needing repair, you need to have a level of funds reserved to cover that or you can get yourself in a significant bother, um, you know, quite quickly. So, so we're not saying... And certainly I'm not saying that, that you shouldn't keep cash in the bank to any degree. It's important to have a reserve fund for unforeseen things. If you lose your job, you know, you want to have four to six months of of income coverage, expense coverage in your bank at all times to make sure that, you, you know, you, you, you can weather any storm that's coming your way. But above and beyond that, you want to start looking at what cash you can invest. You can start to invest in much higher yielding asset returns, whether it's starting your own business, whether it's stocks and shares, whether it's investing in something that you're passionate about. The start of any investment journey, and we're going to talk about this more in future podcasts of all the different investment strategies that you can get into, but the start of any investment journey is finding something that you're passionate about because you have to put a huge amount of work, huge amount of hours into making sure that you're making the right investments, that you're spending that money wisely and you're going to get the return and to do that in something that you're not passionate about it just means the the reality of of you getting the returns that you want to get are, are is unlikely you know i i had the passion about property and i i still love it every day and and we spend a huge amount of time building our skills building our knowledge so the business becomes better and better and better every year because we're passionate about it. You can't do that with something you're not passionate about. You know, the, the start of any investment journey is investing in yourself, uh, learning as much as you possibly can because no one can ever take that away from you. And from that, you need to find passion. You need to find something you're passionate invest, uh, and invest in, whether that's classic cars, watches, wines. There's all sorts of things you can invest in. And I think just now with the way that the economy is, you also want to be thinking about investing your cash in, in things that are uh, a good balance of liquidity. So, you know, obviously cash is the most liquid thing. So if you run up against any issues, you've got cash in the bank to deal with it, but you're not getting the return. Then property is at the other end of the scale where it's relatively illiquid. If you've invested in property, it's not easy to get your money back out if you need it. Uh, it can take quite a long time, especially just now when the property market's a bit flat to get your money back. So you don't want to be maybe putting all your money into property where you can't get it out if you need it. 
there are a balance of other things where you can invest in stocks and shares and you can usually liquidate those stocks and shares uh, quite quickly within a couple of weeks and get your money out. So there is a balance of liquidity to consider just now, especially because of where we are in the economic cycle. The fact that, yeah, things aren't as, as great as we'd like them to be and we're probably heading into a recession. And and given the factors that are creating that recession, the, the factors that have created significant inflation, uh, are very complicated. We had Brexit, we had COVID, where there was a huge amount of money printed. We've now got the Ukrainian war that's pushed up utility prices because most of that's coming from Russia. Um, there's a lot of factors that are affecting the, the, the economic position that we're in right now, and it's unlikely to resolve uh, in a short period of time. So my expectation is that, that things are going to be pretty rough for, for a while. Um, you can invest through it. That creates a lot of opportunity. Just now we're seeing a huge amount of proper, uh, opportunity in the property sector because people are trying to get out of property. They're trying to liquidate their assets. They're trying to get cash, which means we get the opportunity to buy uh, quite a lot of below market value property. So there's always, in, in any economic environment, there's always opportunity. So the fact that things are difficult means that if you have liquidity and if, if you have cash, then you have opportunity to buy. You know, there's a lot of businesses that might be going down just now and you can you can pick up the assets or, or even the business at a relatively low price if not you know for, you hear about businesses getting sold for a pound because they're in debt and if you have an angle to take that on and build it you know millionaires are made through through economic downturns millionaires property millionaires are made through property crashes because there's always opportunity within it you just need to be focused and, and see that so to, to have a lot of cash sitting in the bank uh, certainly above the 85k mark doesn't make sense just now. You're not getting the return. You are losing month on month. Inflation's much higher than the interest you're likely to be getting. You should be looking to invest that. Um, find something you're passionate about. Find something that drives you. And listen to, to this podcast because over, over the next few months, we're going to be talking about all sorts of investment strategies from crypto to, to property to stocks and shares to um, building your own business, building your own brand, a lot of a lot of digital assets are being created right now that create good money. Um, so we're going to be talking about a lot of different strategies, but just be aware that that money in the bank is definitely not the strategy for just now. It's something that you need to be aware of, and it's something that you need to deal with. Okay, that's it from me. Uh, I'm Alex Robertson. This has been the Real Wealth Podcast. Um, thank you for listening. <laughs>